Awesome God. How are you guys? How are you guys in the live stream audience? Hope you guys are doing great. Good to see y'all. Uh, let's uh, get right into it because I have like 20 pages of notes and I want to get through them all. Uh, let's bow our hearts. Father God, we come into your presence and we worship you, we honor you, we exalt you, we thank you so much for not leaving us in the dark, Father. We thank you that your son said, Father, that he would not uh, leave us orphans, and he told his disciples that the Comforter would come, and that the Comforter, and that the, you, Father, and that he would uh, make their home in our hearts, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us your word, it's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path until that eternal day, Father. We thank you that your word says in Proverbs that for the righteous, the light will shine brighter and brighter. And we thank you, Father, that the day star will arise in our hearts, Father, as your son returns uh, in the light of heaven, Father. And we just pray, Father, that you'd help us to keep our faith and that it wouldn't be, it would be unshakable, Father, because you are unshakable, Father, that our faith would rest in you. And that we just pray that as we open your word this evening, that you would speak wonderfully to our hearts. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Praise God. I hope I didn't scare you off. I think we'll get done on time because I mentioned having like 20 pages of notes. Uh, this is just part one. Uh, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 20. And I want to look at the last few verses there. And we'll do, have a couple messages on the book of life before we proceed into the chapter 21. And there's reason that I want to spend 20 pages of notes. Uh, I took a lot of notes that I've uh, put together. I wrote a little booklet that I never published on the Book of Life years ago. I kind of amended that because, and, and changed it up. And instead of trying to pack it all, that was almost 40 pages long. I, I kind of changed things up a bit because I thought, you know what? I need to share this material in a couple different messages because... The book of life and our standing there and who we are in Christ and whether it's conditional as to whether we get into it or are not in it and stay in it or not is really controversial within the church right now because the church has become, well, much of what the church believes is very deterministic now. Uh, in the first few centuries of church history, when the Christian church thrived the most, uh, they believed in you know, I believe a pure form of the gospel, or an understanding of the gospel, maybe I should say. And after Manichaean uh, determinism had such a strong influence on Augustine, I've done several teachings on that as far as I think maybe 20 years ago even, on some of the Wesley Night Studies, if you've listened to some of my message on Calvinism. Uh, since that period of time, the Roman Catholic theologian Augustine went back to his Manichaean beliefs, which was a Gnostic belief that everything was predetermined, your salvation was predetermined, and that was later uh, picked up by John Calvin and spread throughout the Protestant Reformation, uh, and many Protestants hold that today to where they believe that salvation is very mechanical. In fact, many Calvinists believe every wicked thought you have is predetermined by God before the foundation of the world, and you can't help but do wicked things because it's already scripted that you're going to do them, and then God's going to punish you for doing those things that he scripted that you would do. That's how evil that doctrine actually is when you really think it through it, but it actually assigns sin to God being the author of it, and there's no escaping that with whatever words and mental gymnastics and you know theological, uh, uh, you know, musings you try to use, if you're saying that everything is predetermined by God, 
and you can't choose to do otherwise than that which you've been determined to do. It's basically a form of theological fatalism. Well, the idea that we're saved by divine fiat and it was a unilateral decision whereby God only really wanted to save a few is a very popular belief right now. And it teaches basically that salvation is kind of static. You know, it's kind of mechanical. It's not a influence and response with those who have free uh, will to reject or uh, respond to God's will. Uh, You can only, you know, uh, you cannot respond positively to the salvation call unless you've been predetermined to be saved. And that has a lot of bearing on the way a lot of scripture is interpreted as we go through scripture. I mean, it, it, it just basically turns the Bible upside down and it makes God basically the author of sin rather than the principles and powers and human beings. So uh, as we look at Revelation chapter 20, I want to talk about the book of life and whether or not we need to continue in the faith to stay in the book of life because it's a very serious subject. And I want you to pick it up at verses 11 through 15. And we've covered a lot of those verses already and we're really honing on verse 15, but I want you to get the picture. This is, uh, you know, this takes place as great white throne judgment between the millennial period because Jesus Christ returns in Revelation 19. He sets up a thousand year reign. We read six times that he'll reign for a thousand years after that. It specifically states that. And then after those thousand years, Satan's let loose for a short time. And Satan tries to bring a revolt of, uh, you know, uh, of Gog and Magog against the holy city. Uh, and God has victory over him because he rains fire down from heaven. And Jesus is reigning with us on the earth at that time. And then New Jerusalem comes out of the sky, out of the heavens to the earth. But between this scenario where God, you know, rains fire upon the wicked over a thousand years after Christ returns and New Jerusalem coming, there's like a parenthetical period of time. It's called the great white throne judgment. And I believe everybody will be there. Christians will not be there to be judged. If you are trusting Jesus right now and you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith is in him, you're saved, your name's in the book of life and you die in the faith. Uh, The Bible says those who are in the faith have passed from death to life and will not come into condemnation. Those who are believing, present tense, those who continue to believe, that's the context there, uh, they will not come into condemnation. If you're trusting Jesus, you will not enter into condemnation. And that's a beautiful thing. So we won't be there to be judged by God because we'll be judged when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. According to Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 20, Jesus says, and behold, I, you know, I come quickly, my reward is with me to uh, give everyone according to his works. I mean, that's Revelation chapter 12, around verse 11 or so. And uh, Revelation 11 talks about at the seventh trumpet, it gives us a picture of the end, and it comes when Christ comes back, not him who was and is, is, is to come at that point. He's called him who was and is. Amen? And he comes at the seventh trumpet, and it says the kingdom of this, of this world became the kingdom of Christ, and it's time to reward his saints you know, and those who fear his name. And it talks about, you know, the prophets and everyone that's a believer is rewarded. So when Christ returns, we receive our judgment. We receive our rewards. We receive our blessings. But we aren't judged on the basis of, our, of salvation on anything we've done because Christ died for us, amen? Now, I gotta be careful here because I haven't even ventured into the beginning of my 20 pages. But I wanna say this, if you are saved and trusting Jesus, you are in the book of life already. And if we pick it up at verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, 
from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. So it's not until you get to Revelation 21 that you see a, a new heaven and a new earth. So the old earth and the old heaven flee away. Then in chapter 21, several verses later, there's the new heaven and the new earth. But in between these two periods is what? Verse 12, the great white throne judgment. Verse 11 and 12, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. So the books are opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The book of life is used about five times, five or six times in the book of Revelation. Here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, Revelation 20, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 20, verse 12, and Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, also Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, in Revelation 22, verse 19, it's in the King James, but it's not in the oldest manuscripts. It's also found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, and Revelation 13, 8, and Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. And we'll be looking at a lot of those verses in the next two teachings that I have on the book of life. I'm excited about this message because there's such a controversy, and I believe bad doctrines leads to bad living, and, and wrong understandings of Scripture lead to, you know, a bad theology can lead you off in a lot of areas, especially if that theology leads to license or leads you to think that, oh, I don't have to really be concerned about what God says there because it really doesn't pertain to me because I've already been predestined and really, you know, I'm in no matter what. Ooh, ouch. Not if God says you have to continue and that you can fall and you need to be concerned about continuing in the faith. So it's interesting. The books are open and another book is open, which is the book of life. So are these books plural? Then there's the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So it appears that the books that are opened, the, the dead that are brought before the Lord at the great white throne judgment, which is not us. We've already been resurrected over a thousand years earlier at the second coming of Christ, as I mentioned. But the wicked dead are resurrected then the books are opened, and they're, they're judged because of their deeds from the things written in those books. So those would be the books that would have, and that's the, the, the registry of heaven, man. All these different books. There's a registry of heaven, the book of life, but there's all these other books. We don't know how many, plural, where it records the works that have been done. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Wow. Wow, the sea gave up his dead, those who died at sea. Those in Hades, that's the underworld. Remember the rich man in Lazarus? The rich man was in rebellion to God, and uh, he went to Hades, it says. He lifted up his eyes in torment. That was during Jesus' day. Jesus gave that teaching to teach and illustrate that there's a place called Hades that you go to if you, don't, if you aren't right with God, a place of torment. However, that place is just a temporary holding facility. And at the great white throne judgment, those who are in Hades, Hades will be empty out. And everybody will stand before God to give an account. Now, we will have already given an account when Christ came at his second coming, which will have preceded this by over a thousand years, as I've mentioned. They'll be judged according to their deeds. If you're not saved and you reject Jesus Christ, you reject what he did on the cross for your sins, you reject his death and resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, then you are going to have to stand in your own righteousness. You're going to be judged according to what you have done and what you have not done. 
your deeds. And you don't want to be judged when it comes to eternity for what you've done and what you have not done because nobody measures up. Jesus said the standard is what? Perfection. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he said to his apostles. Be holy as he is holy, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the soul that sins, it shall die. So sadly, those whose works don't add up to perfection, which is everyone, and who are not saved, will be judged according to their works, and then they will pay for their sins. Where? Well, then in verse 14, we read, read, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is a second death, the lake of fire. He spells out what the, what the lake of fire is. It's a second death. We die physically, right? The point of man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. Then there's the judgment. And for the wicked, they suffer a second death, which is the lake of fire. And we know that the lake of fire is an annihilation, as the Jehovah's Witnesses falsely teach, because in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, we see in chapter 19, at the last few verses there, when Christ comes back, the beast and the false prophet are thrown alive into the lake of fire. Then we read in Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 and 11, just a little bit later, over a thousand years later, Satan is thrown in the lake of fire, and it says where the beast and the false prophet are. They're still there. And we read in Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 12, for those who take the mark of the beast, when they're thrown in the lake of fire, it says the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest for day and night, forever and ever. That's not language that speaks of annihilationism. Not having rest. Annihilationism would be instant rest for eternity, right? It's the opposite. There's no rest. A very horrible consequence for being a rebellion to God. Yet we read in verse 15, which is what I really want us to think about this evening, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, catch that? And if, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was what? Thrown into the lake of fire. So if your name is not in the book of life, you'll be judged according to your deeds by those other books. And since you're not in the book of life, you'll be thrown into the lake of fire which is the second death. That's a serious, serious thing. But what's the application for us as believers? First and foremost, if you're trusting Jesus and your name is written in heaven, Jesus said to rejoice that your names are written in heaven, amen? Told his disciples, don't rejoice that you have power over the demons. Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven, amen? We should rejoice that our names are written in heaven. At the end of the study tonight, I wanna encourage you regarding some other reasons we ought to rejoice. But you need to make sure, you need to absolutely make sure before you leave planet earth, you know, the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, right? Basic instructions before leaving earth, amen? You want to make sure your name is in the book, amen, in the book of life. But also, we want to see if Jesus stated anything that would imply that we must continue to make sure our names are in the book of life, and he certainly did. And since he did, we need to look at those texts because if people are being taught that once you're saved, you're always saved no matter what you do and God could never blot you out of the book of life and you could do whatever you want and under no circumstances would he ever blot you out of the book of life and he doesn't have an eraser, but he warns that he could and he would and that he has. Woo, we better get serious and say, whoa, what's the scripture teach? And since there are some false teachings, can I say this in love? Because I don't want people to be led astray by false teaching. If there's false teaching that states that God would 
would and could and has never blotted anybody out of the book of life. There's no circumstances by which he would. We need, to, we need to scrutinize that in the name of Jesus on the basis of what Holy Scripture says. And also, we need to have answers. So I want this evening to be an education and the next evening that we're in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, because I'm going to do two teachings on this, because I'm going to look at the most popular teaching first concerning this idea that you can't be blood out of the book of life. And then next time we're together, I'll look at the other, some of the other reasons that are more popular, but not as popular, but are out there that you need to have answers for, because we need to warn people, many people, many professing Christians, millions, I'm telling you right now, millions of professing Christians are living wicked lifestyles because they've been taught that once they've been saved, they can do whatever they want. That's one of the most common teachings of the church today. We all know people like that, right? Many people, you've met them at your work, sometimes your neighborhoods, different places, and, and they're getting drunk, and they're partying, and they're, they're cheating on their spouses, and they're, they're, they're listening to the most wicked and perverse things, and watching the most wicked and perverse things, you know? And, uh, whoa, I'm saved. I got saved. I went up the altar call. We need to be concerned about what the scriptures teach here. Now, praise God, if your name is in the book of life, right, and you're trusting Jesus, if you were to die today, you'll be with him, amen? But that's only true if your name is in the book of life. How do we get into the book of life? You know? How, how do we get into the book of life? The book of life is the book of what? Life. It speaks of spiritual life. If it was about physical life, well, then everybody would be in the book of life, and that's not what he's talking about. And you wouldn't be blotted out of it. But it's Jesus' book of life. It's also called the book of life of the Lamb. In Revelation 21, here it's Revelation chapter 20, verse uh, 11, 12, and then verse 15. It's called the book of life. In Revelation 21, 27, it's called the book of life of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 17, 8, it's called the book of life of the Lamb because it's the book that belongs to who? The Lamb. It's his book. And those that belong to him and those who trust in him have been forgiven of their sins through faith in the shed blood of the lamb, their names are written in his book, amen? Because he's given us eternal life. Like John chapter six, I believe verse 48, Jesus says, you know, I'm the bread of life, right? And he says, he that eats this bread, bread will not die, amen? If you are in the book of life, you will not die the second death, amen? Jesus didn't mean they wouldn't physically die, just like in John chapter 8, verse 51, I believe, he said, he that keeps my word will never see death. Amen? So if you keep his word, you'll never see death, spiritually speaking. You'll never be thrown in the lake of fire, which is the second death. You'll never be separated from God because you're keeping his word. So it's important that we understand that we need to understand what it means to be in the book of life. By the way, being in the book of life is connected to confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus writes letters to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And we read to the angel of the church in Sardis write, one of the seven churches. He was the seven spirits of God. And the seven stars says this, I know your deeds and that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So this is a church that has a name that they're alive. People talk about the church of Sardis. Yeah, Sardis, man, those guys are strong Christians. They're really active in the community and, you know, man, they're, man, they're such an alive church. But Jesus says, no, you're dead. 
You're dead. It's a dead church. Verse two, wake up, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. In other words, they're, they're pretty dead, but there's some things in there that are just holding on and uh, they could just strengthen those things that are about to die. So there's, it's a spiritually dead church, but there is a little bit of life there that's about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. We're not saved by our deeds, but our deeds are evidence of our salvation. Amen. Verse three. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it. What are they receiving here? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And keep it. His word. And then he says, and what? Repent. So he wants them to wake up. Remember what they had received and heard and keep it and repent. Do a 180. Have a metanoia. Have a change of heart. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will what? Come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Woo, man, when he, Jesus comes upon you like a thief, that means you're in darkness. Amen? Jesus warned his apostles in Matthew chapter 24 that they're to be awake spiritually, so when he comes, he doesn't come upon them like a thief. Amen? The apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that those believers who are walking with Jesus who aren't getting drunk at night and so forth, who we call children of darkness, he goes, we are not of the darkness, but we are children of the light. Amen? Not children of the night. Amen? And he says, the Lord will not come back upon us as a thief. Amen? So when he comes back as a thief, as to those that are of the night, those who are getting drunk, Jesus warned in Luke chapter 12 about a godly servant continue to give out meat, the word of God in due season, and encouraging people in the truth. And then he talked, said, if that servant... That servant, same servant, who was walking and giving out meat in due season, begins to say, oh, my Lord delays his coming. He's not come back for a while and begins to get drunk with the drunkards, you know, starts getting stoned, you know, getting drunk with the drunkards, beating the maidservants. I'll come at a time when he's not aware of it, and I will cut him in pieces and put him with the unbelievers. Revelation 21.8, and the unbelieving and cowardly and abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, liars, idolaters, so forth, says their place is the lake of fire. That's not good. Jesus said, I'll cut him in pieces. Woo, that's, that's crazy. That's a crazy judgment. That's not salvation. So Jesus doesn't want us to, who doesn't want to have to come upon us like a thief. He comes upon you like a thief, you're in huge trouble. In fact, in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, in the middle of the verses about Armageddon and him coming back at Armageddon, he says, blessed is he that keeps his garments, right? So there's naked not, and this is not seen. So he's not ashamed. In fact, let me read it to you. Pretty heavy verse. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Reminds you of Sardis, right? He told him, wake up. And keeps his clothes. Amen. The garments of salvation. So that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. All this is very important to understand the context of what comes next because he's talking to a sleepy church that's dead spiritually to a great degree and they need to wake up and strengthen those things that remain. They need to repent, wake up and repent, amen? So he doesn't come upon them as a what? A thief in judgment at his return, amen? It's in that context, it's in that context where he says, uh, so I won't come upon you, or I'm sorry, wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Wow. 
But he says this, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Amen? So there's just a few people in that entire church that are having victory. But most aren't. And since most aren't, he warns them. He warns them that they need to be overcomers. And it's only if they overcome that their names will not be erased or blotted from the book of life. Listen to verse five. Jesus says, he who overcomes will thus be what? Clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Do you catch that? Listen to this. Listen to this. It's a promise that's conditional. So it's a promise with a warning. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now listen to this. If Jesus came into our fellowship, and he said, you guys have blessed hope. You know you guys have a name that you're alive, but you're, you're dead. You know? Strength those things that remain, that are ready to die. Right? Wake up. Right? Repent. Remember what you heard, amen, and received. There's only, there's a few that haven't soiled their garments. Otherwise, I'm going to come upon you like a thief. They says, he that overcomes will be clothed in white raiment, white garments. Amen. And I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I'll confess his name before my father and his angels. We would all understand that that means I need to make sure that I wake up. I need to make sure that I repent if I'm in sin, right? I need to make sure that I strengthen things that remain. Otherwise, he's going to come upon me like a thief because I've soiled my garments. He didn't say you never had garments in the first place. Once you have holy garments, you always have holy garments. No. There's some that have soiled their garments and they need to overcome. Otherwise, he's going to come like a thief. Boom. Destruction. And if they do overcome, he won't erase their names from the book of life, but he'll confess it before the Father and before the angels. And this would reverberate through the church with the apostolic warnings. The book of Revelation was the last book written in the canon of, the new, of, of all you know, the New Testament, right? Written in the 90s by the Apostle John. Amen. They already had the gospel accounts. They already had Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're already quite conversant with the warnings where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, You'll be hated by all because of my name. But it's the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Not the one that comes up an altar call. Ultimately, final salvation is the one who endures to the end. Then Jesus said, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Wow. That's great. You know, that's beautiful. It's a great promise. But he says, if you deny me before men, goes on to say, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. And in Luke chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, we read, Jesus says, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men, he will be denied before the angels of God. It's kind of interesting. In Matthew, it's deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father in heaven. In Luke, it's you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the angels in heaven. In Revelation, it's what? If you overcome, you won't be bought out of the book of life. You'll be clothed in right raiment, and I will not 
What? And I will what? I will confess your name before the Father and the angels. Kind of brings the two thoughts together, amen? Pretty cool. And by the way, how do we get saved? Revelation 10, 9. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is what? Lord. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Verse 10. Verse 10. And this is uh, the very next verse. And this is from the complete Jewish translation, which brings out the tenses. For with the heart, one goes on trusting and thus continues toward righteousness. While with the mouth, one keeps on making public acknowledgement or confession and thus continues toward salvation or deliverance. So, if we are going to have our name confessed, by the way, listen up guys, think about this. You can deny him more than just by your words. Remember, remember Titus 1.16? They profess to know him, but by their works, they what? Deny him. And the church at Sardis was, for the most part, denying them because he said, I know their deeds, right? And they are not completed before my God. And they were spiritually dead for the most part. They were spiritually asleep. They needed to wake up. They needed to repent, he said, or he's going to come upon them like a thief. So they were denying him. And it wasn't unless they were, became overcomers, Right? that he would confess them before the Father and before the angels. It was only as overcomers that he would not blot their names out of the book of life. It's only as overcomers that he would not come upon them like a thief. And you say, what, that church has been dead and gone for some time. And, you know, I mean, how does that relate to us? Easy. He that has an ear says at the end of each letter to each church, pretty much the same construction. Let him have, he that has an ear, let him hear what the, what the Spirit says to who? the churches, because we're supposed to read these letters and say, wow, how does this relate to me? How does this relate to the church that I'm part of, you know? Amen? So it's very, very important that we understand the seriousness of this. Now, how do we overcome? How are we overcomers according to the book of Revelation? Well, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, listen to this. It describes how they overcame Satan. It describes the anatomy of an overcomer. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb, first and foremost, we overcome because of the blood of Jesus. His shed blood for our sins is the ground of our victory. Amen. He's the one that paid for our sins. We couldn't save ourselves. Amen. It's through what he did on the cross and his glorious resurrection. But we have to respond to the gospel. Amen. Otherwise, everybody would be saved, but you're only saved by grace through faith. So it goes on to say they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb. That's the ground of our victory. And because of the word of their testimony, their confession. There's a confession again. And look, look at the next part. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. In other words, they kept the faith until the end. Just like Jesus said, he that endures the end, the same will be saved. If you confess before men, I'll confess before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. That means you need to keep the faith to the end. And thus, these are the overcomers. Those who trust in Jesus, shed blood for their sins. Have the word of their testimony. They confess their faith in Christ. And they keep their faith until death. That's New Testament Christianity. That's what the church believed for the first, the early centuries of the church. 
wasn't in a debate. It wasn't even a debate. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Look at a lot of the martyrs through the ages. How they said if he, I, during the persecution, when you read the Fox Book of Martyrs over and over again, I remember being a new Christian and I would circle it every time because I thought, wow, these guys were quoting scripture and they were saying, hey, I will never deny my Lord because if I deny him, he'll deny me. They took these scriptures seriously and it got them through persecution. How do you think the church, the professing church will fare today? Deny him or you're dead. Think they're going to say, no, if I deny him, he'll deny me? No, let's say, uh, you know, uh, Charles Stanley said, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. So, uh, you know, Tim LaHaye said, if I take the mark of the beast, I'll still be saved in the end. Uh, yeah, sure, give me the mark. I can deny him. Because people are being taught all these weird teachings, man. False teachings. Seriously false teachings. This is very, very serious. Now, it's interesting because when you looked at the book of life, it was, it's the heavenly registry, you know, those who are in it have life. And the, the background of these writings is quite interesting because guess what? There were registries in the communities to which the Jews lived in these pagan areas that you were in, you were in their, the book, that, that you were part of a town or a village or city. And there were three ways by which you could lose your status in a community's registry. One was by moving from one kingdom to another kingdom. Your name would be blotted out. Another was when you died, no longer part of that community, name blotted out. Another way was through capital offenses. You commit murder, blotted out. What's interesting, the Bible warns that if we leave God's kingdom, right, we commit apostasy and go back to Satan's kingdom, the scriptures are clear that we'll be cut off from salvation. The scripture's also clear that if we practice rebellion against God, you know, like capital offenses, so to speak, and you, 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 you're a murderer or a, you know, an adulterer or a drunkard or what have you, that you're deceived if you think you're gonna inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation 21, eight gives a list of a few of those things. Also 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Also Galatians chapter five, verses 19 through 21. Also Ephesians chapter five, verses four through eight. There's several different vice lists which categorizes different people that, and Paul over and over again gives these lists and says, don't be deceived, you know? that practices these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Go to the Galatians, he says, no, for certain. First Corinthians 6, he says, be not deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 5, he says, let no one deceive you with vain words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Do not be partakers with them. So we're warned that we won't enter God's kingdom if we commit apostasy. So a lot of the, it's interesting that the reasons that you were basically, you know, blotted out of a, Community's ledger mirror in some ways the biblical reality. In fact, I thought it was interesting. Alan Johnson, in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, he correctly assesses the nature of this promise warning in Revelation 3.5. Listen to what he says. I'm glad because you see some honest exegesis here where people aren't trying to protect their doctrines by smoothing over what Jesus says and taking away what Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, intended for us to hear. Alan Johnson and the Expositor's Bible Commentary in the book of Revelation, published by Zondervan, uh, pages 449 and 450 of my version, which is 1981 edition, says, quote, a person enrolled in the book of life by faith, by faith, remains in it by faithfulness, continuing the faith, and can be erased only by disloyalty. Wow. There is some evidence that someone's name could be removed from the city registry before death if he were convicted of a crime. 
In the first century, Christians who were loyal to Christ were under constant threat of being branded political and social rebels and then stripped of their citizenship. But Christ offers them an eternal safe citizenship in the everlasting kingdom if they only remain loyal to him. Amen. That's all I'm saying right there. Just remain loyal to Jesus. Continue in the faith. It's very simple. It's a shame I even have to do messages like this because people see what he says in the scripture, but does it fit their Manichaean determinism or the inheritance of a salvific plan that has been influenced by the Manichaeans, the, the Gnostics? Interesting. And it's sad. The outstanding scholar, I. Howard Marshall, and he was one of my favorite scholars when he was alive. And I. Howard Marshall is, is basically, I mean, he is heralded by people from all kinds of different theological backgrounds before he died. He wrote in his book, Kept by the Power of God, on page 175, which I own, quote, the possibility of failure on this, on Revelation 3.5, in reference to Revelation 3.5, the possibility of failure to endure is mentioned. Christians who fail to endure will come under judgment. Revelation 2.22. And their names will be blotted out of the book of life. Revelation 3.5. There is no reason to suppose that these warnings are purely hypothetical. Directed against non-existent dangers. The reverse is the case. Moreover, the reference to the book of life indicates that John is addressing believers. You don't warn non-believers that they need to, uh, you know, wake up and Make sure, you know, their soil, their garments are no longer soiled or they'll be, you know, so, and be overcomers so their names won't be blotted out of the book of life. What would that mean to a non-believer? Do you go tell your non-believing friend, you know, you need to make sure you're an overcomer, you know, because your garments are soiled and, and you know, and, and you got a name that you're alive, but you're, you're dead and you need to strengthen those things that remain. He'd be going, what are you talking about? Because that's a warning to believers who have fallen, who've soiled their garments, who've fallen asleep spiritually. Amen. That's who it's a warning to. The context. When you go to Revelation 3.5, force the person who's trying to get away from Revelation 3.5 to look at the context versus 1 through 5. Amen? So these warnings are clear. In fact, John Walvoord, who was president of Dallas Theological Seminary for a number of years, which teaches once saved, always saved, says this verse has troubled expositors. Catch that. This verse has troubled expositors. It troubled me. <laughs> I look at it and I say, yeah, amen, Jesus. I've called us to endure to the end, not to deny you and remain faithful to the end and don't be like, remember Lot's wife and don't turn back and all that over and over again. And he'll come cut him in pieces if you're not following and get drunk with drunkards, and you're, you know, the, the five unwise virgins, you know, they weren't ready. All, over and over and over and over again, everywhere throughout Jesus' teaching, you know. Let him, you know, set your hand to the plow and then you look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. Amen. All kinds of Jesus teaching that bearing the talents, you know, oh, you know, and then thrown into outer darkness because you just bury your talent. I mean, on and on and on, Jesus warned against apostasy and that many would fall away. So it doesn't trouble us. It didn't trouble the early church, but it troubles those who hold to once saved, always saved. And Alexander McLaren, one of my other favorite expositors, you know, in the 1800s, the 19th century. He was an outstanding Baptist scholar. He's called many times, he was known as the Prince of Expositors. And he's written some, I have his uh, works, they're really awesome. Alexander McLaren, look what he says in regard to Revelation 3.5 and how he, people were twisting it. 
Listen to this. He writes, I will not blot out his name of the book of life. That is a solemn and tremendous claim that Christ's finger can write and Christ's finger can erase. A name from the register. But what I especially note here is not so much this this reiteration of the fundamental and all-embracing promise which has met us in the preceding letters, the promise of a secure eternal life as the plain and solemn implication that a name may be struck out of the book. Listen to what he goes on to warn. Theological exigencies. Little mouthful there. Theological exigencies compelled our fathers to deny that talking about the Calvinists that came before him. And he's a Baptist. But surely the words of our text are too plain to be neglected or misunderstood. Yeah, they're really clear. You have to be an overcomer to not be blotted out of the book of life. And not everybody overcomes once they've set their hand to the plow. He said, it is possible that a name, it is possible that a name, it is possible that a name, like the name of a dishonest attorney shall be struck off the rolls. Do not let any desire for theological symmetry blind you brother, to that fact. Take into account into the daily lives. Take it into account into your daily lives. Apply it. Recognize that you need to be steadfast. Amen. Stay awake. It is possible for a man to, quote, cast away his confidence. He's quoting Hebrews 10.35. You can cast away your confidence. Non-believers don't cast away their confidence. They never had confidence. He says it's possible for him to make shipwreck of the faith, 1 Timothy 1.19. Non-believers don't make shipwreck of their faith because non-believers, by definition, don't have faith. Amen? Only one who is once in the faith can make shipwreck of the ship of faith. Amen? Then he goes on to state something very interesting. Being a Scotsman, a Scottish expositor, he goes into some Scottish history, and many of you have heard of Cromwell, professing Christian early in his life, but a bloody murderer for much of the end of his life. He says, some of you will remember that pathetic story of Cromwell's deathbed when he asked one of the ghostly counselors whether it was true that once in the covenant, always in the covenant, or once saved, always saved. He got the answer, yes. And then he said, I know I once was, and so he died. Brethren, it is the victors whose names are kept upon the roll. Get that? Brethren, it is the victors, the overcomers, whose names are kept on the roll. These people at Sardis had a name to live, and they thought their names were in the book of life. And when it was opened, writes Alexander McLaren, a blot. Wow. Wow. That's some good preaching right there. Talk about Alexander McLaren. It's pretty good. Awesome. Wow. So beware of the theological exigencies, amen? Be aware of them <sighs> because they fail majorly, all these. And there's, by the way, there's a lot of theological exigencies trying to get around these warnings in the scripture about being blotted out of the book of life. In fact, John MacArthur, one of the most popular Calvinistic teachers who is very good at theological exigencies and trying to explain away the clear warnings of the Lord Jesus Christ, sadly. Lord, may you give him repentance in this area. Uh, in his book, The church in prophetic perspective, he writes this regarding this verse. Christ says some petty king, and he quotes Jesus. But when he quotes Jesus, he's not quoting Jesus, it's not Jesus. He's adding to what Jesus says and changing what he said. He says that Christ says some petty king might blot your name out of the books, their books. But I will never blot your name out of my book. He is not saying that you can lose your salvation. He is saying the opposite. Wow. Wow. Jesus 
promise that he will not blot our names out of the book of life is contingent upon a condition, which is he who what? He who overcomes. Amen? His name will not be blotted out. Not all of you. It, it, the letter isn't like, hey, you know what? You guys are doing great. You've been predestined to eternal salvation. You have no choice in your salvation. And I, I'll never blot your name out of the book of life because no, they're an apostate fallen church that needs to spiritually wake up and they've soiled their spiritual garments. And many, most of them are not overcoming. There's only a few who are. And he says, he that overcomes, his name will not be blotted out of the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father and the angels. Amen. He'll walk with me in white. And when Jesus comes back with the saints in heaven, right, he comes back and we're raptured up, right, in the heavenlies. And we come back with him and the saints who've died before us are resurrected first and they're already there, right? And they come back. We read in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, and those who are with him are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. They're faithful. Well, aren't there going to be some unfaithful people there that are apostate? No. says the faithful. They're called, chosen, and faithful. So, so John MacArthur, you know, he teaches Calvinism, you know, and he's constantly teaching people that they're chosen. They can't fall away if they've been chosen. And if they're struggling in sin and they're struggling, well, you were never chosen in the first place, many of them here. So you're doomed. God predestined you to damnation is what a lot of them believe. Or by passing them over, they're just, Basically, it's the same thing. Basically, destined for damnation. So a lot of them, or some of them at least, I know because of what he writes, must come up to him and say, hey, John, what about Revelation 3, 5? It says it's the overcomer that he doesn't blot out. And, and you know what he says to them? I need to explain this because people ask me all the time. So he gets this all the time. He says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. People say to me, does that mean that God might erase my name from the book of life? I can't believe people ask that question because the verse says I will not erase his name from the book of life. What would make someone think that he might when he said he won't? How can you turn a promise into a threat? This doesn't imply that God puts names and takes them out at random. By the way, whoever said he takes them out at random? Why can't these guys just fight fair, man, with scripture? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you're just adding stuff there, John. That's a straw man argument. Nobody says, yeah, God, you better watch out. God can, just takes your name out of random sometimes. You're just sleeping or you're singing a praise song. He just takes it out. No one's saying that. So come on, let's, let's be straight here, guys. We're just saying, and, and by the way, again, the context is, this is a church that has fallen into depravity. And they need to repent and wake up. So they don't come like a thief, amen? Amen, because they've sold their garments. And he says, it's for those that overcome, their names will not be blood out of life. So it's a radical threat for those, most of the church, that's not, that are not overcoming, amen? That's what it's intended to be. And an encouragement for those who are overcoming, that they need to continue to overcome, amen? And they'll be blessed. And their names are in the book of life, amen? Are you with me? Now, MacArthur admits that it refers to, quote, sleepy, indifferent Christians. Hmm, catch that? So the, the promise is giving to sleep, to, given to sleepy, he says, indifferent Christians. In other words, he's applying this promise not to those who have not soiled their garments, that few, right? He's applying the promise to those who are fallen. He says that he ref this refers to, quote, the sleepy, indifferent Christians. That's important 
because he would have those who need to repent, those who have fallen asleep spiritually that need to wake up as though the promise is theirs. When the promise is theirs, only if they what? Are what? Overcomers. Are you with me? Am I going too fast? I usually have a ton of people that can either shake their head one way or another. Now, since we've got COVID-19 going on, I have to, but you guys are all great, man. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We're good tonight, today. So, uh, I don't know how you guys keep doing that. <laughs> That's pretty good. So, this is very, very, very serious. In fact, he severely warns them to wake up, right, and repent. So, it's interesting. MacArthur goes on to write, and I'm looking at a couple different sources I've used of his. Under no circumstances... Will he ever erase those names? Your salvation was sealed before the world began. God may take your life for sin, but he will never take your salvation. What's that message that John MacArthur's teaching? Now, sometimes we give him, John MacArthur, more of a past than a lot of once saved, always saved people. Because a lot of once saved, always people just teach blatant license. That you can blaspheme God. You can become an adulterer. You can even worship the devil. And you'll still be saved. You'll just lose rewards. And John MacArthur usually will say, well, if you're really a believer, you would never fall away. But there's times where he does give this license, where he states that, you know, he may take your life because of sin, but not your salvation. And this, this promise is for sleepy, indifferent Christians. So those who are spiritually have a name that are alive, but are dead, and they need to repent, and they need to wake up spiritually, or he's going to come upon them like a thief, really, he's just going to take them to heaven when they die. That's license. That's license. MacArthur says, under no circumstances will he ever erase those names. Under no circumstances. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do as a Christian, your name will never be erased. And then he says, that's security. No, John, that's license, man. That's license. That's license. Now, It's interesting because when we look at the promises, we look at the overcomers, when God says he'll bless those who overcome, over and over again in Revelation, it comes as a promise that's conditioned upon overcoming. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, everybody at the church, your name will never be blotted out of the book of life no matter what. That's not what the promise says. It's based on whether you persevere so often in Revelation. There's seven letters. In fact, listen to this. Tell me what this means. Let's just be, cut it straight. He's talking to the church of Smyrna. The church of Smyrna is a persecuted church. Radically persecuted. And I'm already seeing, man, that I'm not going to get through my 20 pages. So this will probably be a three-part thing on the book of life, which is good. Because I configured, reconfigured my notes and added things that I'd never shared before. Uh, and I didn't, want to I didn't want to try to cover f almost 40 pages in the session, so I thought maybe I'll get through 20, and it's not going to happen. Praise the Lord. I'd rather it's good, spend three times in this because it's important. But when Jesus gives the conditional promise, it's a conditional promise, he that overcomes, we clothe in white raiment, white clothing. Amen? Right? And I will not blot his name from the book of life but I'll confess his name before the Father and before the angels. Wow. Listen to this. How do you overcome? 
Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by what? Three things, the blood of the lamb, amen? The word of their testimony, their confession, and they loved their lives, what? Not even unto death, right? Well, listen to Revelation 2. He's talking to a church, the church of Smyrna. Just before what he says to Sardis, not too long before that, it's one of the seven churches, and the church of Smyrna, he says, don't fear anything, anything that you're about to suffer. Behold, you have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you, what? The crown of life. In the Greek, it's the crown, which is life. He tells them that they need to be faithful until death. That's part of overcoming, right? Revelation 12, 11, be faithful to death, right? Listen to what it says. And I'll read it verses nine through 11 to the church of Smyrna. One of the seven churches that Jesus promises to wonderfully bless if they overcome. Revelation 2, nine through 11. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now listen, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Woo, man, check that out. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested. You have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That's a condition. You have to be faithful unto death. Then you receive the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Now, what if someone said, wow, John, I'm being persecuted by my neighbors. I'm surrounded by a bunch of Satanists. And I need to make sure I don't deny the faith. And I'm concerned. Do I need to be overcome so I can not have the second death? And do I need to be faithful to death so I can receive the crown of life? And John MacArthur could say, based on what he said with Revelation 3.5, I can't believe you turn a promise into a warning. It says that you won't be hurt by the second death. You will receive the crown of life. That's not the context. The context is be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The context is he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. In other words, if you fail to overcome and you're not faithful until death, guess what? You will be hurt by the second death and you will not receive the crown of life. Are you with me? I don't know how you could take a warning with a promise and turn it into an unconditional promise. If I say to one of my grandchildren... If you show up at time before I go on my hike and I'll wait around for a while, I'll take you on my hike. And you know what? If you get there on time, right? And I'm going to give you like, you can be even two hours late. I'll wait. But if you get there, I'll take you with me. And then his little brother says, and he says, I'm going to go the next day and Pop-Pop's going to take me on a hike. And then somebody says, his little brother says, yeah, but he said, when you, when you get there, he'll take you on a hike. It's a promise. He tells my grandson, how could you take a, a promise into a threat? Well, it's not that, I mean, he said, I have to, if I'm here at a certain day, he's going to take me. Nah, no matter what, he's going to take you. Just might happen that, guess what? I'm here tonight and I can't take him or whatever. You don't take warnings that are, or promises that are conditioned upon 
with a warning and just empty it of its warning. Very, very serious. In fact, Charles Stanley does the same thing even more grossly than John MacArthur does. But that's for next time we're in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. As I stir up my notes, and I got through about half. So, uh, because guess what? Let me just say this. Because I, I got to leave you with this at least. If you go to Exodus chapter 32, verse 32 and 33, you see that God, God blots a whole lot of people out of the book of life. If you go to Psalm 69, you see that other people, David prays that they would be blotted out of the book of life and not written with the righteous. And I'm giving you some of the stuff ahead of time, man, because it's so clear in scripture, you can be blotted out of the book of life. And you have to ignore those scriptures or, or explain them away. There's no scripture that says God will unconditionally keep you in the book of life, even if you commit apostasy, not one. But there are scriptures that show people being blotted out of the book of life. God's word triumphs. Let's submit to God's word and not popular theology. Father God, we come before you in your son's name. And we pray if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus, we pray that they would love you, Lord, that they would see that you love them. They would see, Father, that you gave your son, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that his blood was shed on the cross for them, that his blood was given as a propitiation not only for their sins, but for the sins, or our sins, I should say, but for the sins of the whole world. And that if we come to Jesus in faith, believing that he died for us, believing that he rose again, confessing that he is Lord, your word says that we will be saved. And Father, I pray if anybody doesn't know you, that they will confess your son's name. And I pray, Father, for those of us who do know you, Father, that we look at our lives, and if we're, we've fallen asleep spiritually like the 10 virgins, Lord, 10 bridesmaids, Lord, if we have a name that we're alive, but we're spiritually dead, Lord, that we strengthen whatever remains, Lord, that we'd repent as you told the church of Sardis, Lord, and that we would be able to walk with you in white, that you'd cleanse us of our sin, that you'd wash our garments clean, white as snow. We pray, Father, in your son's name, that we confess Jesus, Father, so he can confess us before you and the angels, and that we'd be overcomers who'd walk with him in white. And as overcomers, we have the confidence who continue to trust Jesus that our names will never, ever be blotted out of the book of life. That's biblical security, Lord. Help us keep the faith so we can continue to rejoice that our names are written in heaven and have true biblical security in Jesus' holy name. Amen.